Everyone runs away from pain, dodging the truth it comes with. But you are done with limiting your greatness in the shackles of fear. You see fuel in the fire. You taste ripe fruit in real answers. You move to the drums with wild expression. Enter From Pain to Gain, the podcast about identifying pain so you can ultimately gain health and wealth. Because without identifying a mountain, how can you climb it? Here's your host, Ivan Alpha. Welcome back to From Pain to Gain. I'm Ivan, and this is my good friend, Zach Potter. We just met a few weeks ago, but we already feel like BFFs because of our just a small amount of time, we already kind of knew each other ahead of time. So, Zach, could you please introduce yourself real quick? Would love to. Yeah. I'm Zach Potter. I teach uh, health and wellness. I do a mixture of classic strength training, gymnastics, yoga, a little bit of track and field, but I focus on overall wellness. We work on our weak points, and I like to overlay principles of wisdom um, for a healthy heart that everything moves from. I use Christian principles, and I use general wisdom focused on practically how are we becoming our best selves. So that's what I teach. I teach in the Atlanta area, um, specifically more in the uh, Smyrna area, and um, yeah, I've got a couple slots open for some clients if anyone wants to hop in. But in general, I'm just having fun helping people be their best selves here. Awesome. How could they uh, go and jump on your slot? Uh, the website? Or... Yeah, uh, lionsearthealth.com. Um, and uh, we can do some contact information if you'd like to train with me or do a consult or anything like that. But uh, yeah. Okay, cool. And today we are talking tough love versus nurturing love. And this is something that's kind of been tugging at my heart recently because I was kind of more on the tough love side with somebody very dear and close to my heart recently. So when you kind of threw that as a suggestion out, I was like, all right, this has to be God bringing us together, especially because we just met two weeks ago. So we're, we're going to also expand on our usual flow of the meeting from cage to the kind of added uh, concept, which is Uncaged for the book that's coming up soon. Uh, so basically, Uncaged adds other aspects to it, being understanding the nuance of your cage and then discerning through that. And so let's go ahead and just jump right into uh, understanding the nuance. What, what I mean by that, what I mean on, on the Uncaged side. So basically, one could try to willpower your way through anything that's holding you back. For example, I'll just throw out a very general, easy, susceptible one. Even I've fallen into for most of my 20s, like lust addiction. Uh, understanding the nuance could mean hey, I can't possibly just, ah, I'll get rid of everything related to lust. And I've tried that. It's just it's a willpower-based thing, and it just doesn't work. It's uh, understanding the nuance and discerning through it means um, I put in work on therapy to address what triggered me, as opposed to, oh, I messed up again, and having no reason why, <laughs> having no understanding of the nuance as to why. Uh, I also joined groups to understand the bigger picture as to why, too. So understanding how even the 12-step program works, too, uh, the addiction side. Uh, all those things help me to understand the nuance of and So that's why I'm building upon that cage analogy and I'm glad we came together because you straight up in our email exchange were like, Ivan, the cage by itself is not 
the definition of what I do. <laughs> so, let, I guess before I move on to that next section, what are your thoughts on that so far? Yeah, I think, you know, a cage is something that we're in, but we have to get out of it. I think that um, it's important for us to go after our goals, and I am 100% um, on the, the path that wisdom is the way to achieve our goals. I think our greatest goal is love, you know, um, that is also within uh, Jesus Christ's teachings. He did say, they said, what is the greatest commandment? And he said, there's, you know, one greater than all. And he said, it's to love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Personal training. <laughs> there's many elements of that. And to love your neighbor as yourself. Love and love. Different attributes of love. And then the as self means that we should be loving ourselves as well. But... Then we go to the how, because we should just stop the meeting right there. Oh, the goal is love. Let's go on and do it. It's, it's that easy. But then the, the how do we go about love? And I believe that is wisdom. And that's what we're talking about right now. That's why we would read. That's why we would research. It is a the path um, to love is wisdom. And when we fall out of um, love's path and love's place, love's garden, we can end up in some variation of a of a cage, mm -hmm. um, some negative place that we want to uncage ourselves from. And I think that we would need to understand uh, our cage. Uh, we can't and think about literally an animal trying to get out of a cage and it's trying to rip through the cage if it just understood where the latch was. Yeah, or um, the keys. Where the keys, <laughs> what, what is the system? What What is that cage? So I do, I do believe um, wisdom is very necessary. Now you still need courage and perseverance. You can have the know-how and not do it. But if you don't have the wisdom and you just have the intensity, it's still not going to get done. Yeah. So when it comes to understanding, especially when it comes to balance, the topic of self-love versus nurturing love, what? how do you reconcile that? To me, I think it's um, a, a beautiful balance that's so, supposed to be. There's supposed to be a just balance for life to be able to, to proliferate. And um, I like this tough love versus nurturing love because it goes all the way from our physical body and anabolic versus catabolic metabolic systems in our body that are necessary for life to something we all know about. Sometimes you have to be tough. Sometimes you have to be a little more nurturing. So we're constantly engaging with these things, but that next step is being more conscious, more aware, expanding to a new plane of consciousness of what is this that we're engaged with? And, um, you know, I can, I can start with the physical part because I am a personal trainer and we can, we can talk about that and then we can bridge it to the more philosophical, but still practical, okay. um, places where it can affect other areas of our journey. Um, on the physical part, there's two main areas. Your muscles, they are not going to grow unless you stimulate them by tearing them down. They must engage in some kind of distress. There must be some kind of adversity that is put upon your body or it will not be stimulated to go. Your body needs some variation of the white hot burn of something, some resistance. Okay. And um, from a technical terminology, this is a, a catabolic. Our body is breaking down. Okay. Now, on the flip side of that, your body needs an anabolic building back up. That muscle might be stimulated to grow during the distress, but your muscle doesn't actually grow during the workout. You might get a pump and muscle might swell, but it did not grow permanently because you now need to 
rest and digest. You need to be on this anabolic, this uh, parasympathetic nervous system state where your body recovers. Mm. So there's a, this beautiful balance that life, your literal self, grows when you have a good balance between catabolic and anabolic. And I hope every bit that I'm talking about muscles, we're thinking about a little more than just muscles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That um, comes up, that brings up for me just kind of what I realized a few, like maybe a week ago, when talking through this is uh, two years ago, if I would have came, came through a difficult emotional situation, like an argument, I would have uh, shut down or acted out or, uh, you know, hurt people emotionally or whatever. Uh, but now I could give myself space to rest. And I, I realized the wisdom I had from just being more aware of the nuances of the discernment as of late, that when I had a small little discussion that I didn't like with my wife, I was able to stop and say, hey, I don't want to go out to lunch with your family today because I just need myself to just take in what just happened. Mm -hmm. And we reconciled by that point, but I was still like, my body is like not feeling good. I don't want to be in a, in a state with a group of people where I'm not going to be in a you know, positive energy. I'm just going to be a sponge of negativity probably because I'm trying to force myself to be somewhere that's not natural. So that ties in directly to what you just said. 100%, yeah. I do believe, and that brings actually staying on the, the physical fitness side. Um, in that catabolic, say we're breaking down to stimulate to have the anabolic where we restore and grow. In that catabolic, we can have good form or bad form. Okay, so say I'm doing push-ups with good form. My shoulders are balanced and symmetrical. I'm using my chest, shoulders, and triceps in synergy, and I can do you know however many push-ups. It really doesn't matter the number, but I can get to a max area. I have distress in my muscular system, but I'm gonna have a quick recovery and be strong. Let's say on the opposing thing, and I'd like to to match this with an argument per se. Okay. Um, say I have poor form in my catabolic phase. Say I'm doing push-ups, but here's another virtue axis. Say I'm egotistical, not egotistical, I'm a little, um, I'm concerned about whether I'm good enough and I'm gonna force through a poor form because I'm concerned about getting a high number and not truth. Uh, I might have one shoulder up here, one shoulder's down here, I'm doing half form and I've using a little bit of asymmetrical momentum so I can get a high number. I will still get sore, and I will still have some recovery in some of the muscular systems, but I'm risking an injury. Mm -hmm. An injury can recover, and I can learn there might be a silver lining for from that injury, but I'm more likely to get a wound in that catabolic distress in, in an argument with my wife. I might have a really good argument, and we might get a little heated, and I feel this way, and she feels that way, and there's you know two different opposing forces, and we take that to what's our compromise in a healthy way. Or we might say something of ego. Yeah, or I'm getting something. this number. Yeah, <laughs> or bring up something something different that causes an injury. Okay. That might need physical therapy. I mean, psychological therapy. Yeah. This this analogy. But in our catabolic, which we need catabolic. Sometimes we think catabolic bad because okay. we might have gotten a wound during catabolic. But catabolic is necessary. We just need to be in good form. We need to be in wise, discerning form, a good rhythm, yeah. a just balance of what that form and catabolic is in exercise and in all our endeavors. We're never going to be perfect. We always need to be seeking what is, what's the right rhythm? What's the right way? 
towards things. Okay. It's awesome. So before we started, you were mentioning you were uh, training athletes and stuff like this. Are there folks that perhaps are on the opposite spectrum of an athlete that are come to you that want to get to that level? Yeah, I get quite a mix. I've had somewhat of a spike of athletes lately because okay. I've had really good um, performance increases with athletes because I've been working with younger ones. And after they get some core strength training, all their numbers just seem to improve in the sport as well. But um, I've had many people trying to get balanced health where they might have an injury that they're trying to recover from. And with those, when I, especially when I have an injury, we're actually starting on new movement patterns. They often have a poor movement pattern, and I want to keep all these analogies continuous while we talk about the physical body. Oh, yeah. But in that physical body, they had a poor movement pattern, and that poor movement pattern was causing distress throughout their life. And until they realized that all this time, they were moving with a poor movement pattern, and that was the root of the issue in their shoulders or whatever, then they realized, wow. I need to change my movement pattern, but it doesn't happen that way. We have to then drill in a new movement pattern so it becomes second nature when they go into the real world and they interact with all the complexities and chaos of the real world that they start to move in this new way. Mm. And when they start to move in this new way, they start to realize that distress actually makes them stronger instead of breaking down. What about distress just for the sake of distress? You can come across that too. Is it psychological, emotional, or is, well, I mean, both of them. I mean, there's healthy and unhealthy. So distress for the sake of distress would be, let's just do as many push-ups as we can. If we do it in good form, that's great. Distress for the sake of distress might be psychological cold shower, okay? Ice bath. It has physical health benefits, but also has psychological. Are you courageous enough to jump into a very uncomfortable situation? Mm. Especially when you know on the other side of that ice bath, you will be healthy. You will be happier on the other side, but you don't want to do it because it's painful in the nap. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll, not, I'll pass on the cold shower, bro. But okay. <laughs> maybe that's what we need here. Maybe I was here to bring the cold shower to you, Ivan. <laughs> <laughs> so you're not going to get my water cooler and just throw it on my face. Right? <laughs> but what I'm thinking of is that also to tie that in is I think this is a great part of my childhood, but some people when I break it down, they're like, dude, that's crazy. My father would take us like through alleyways and to dark parks, like at 2 a.m. in the morning. And you already have a concerned look on your face. <laughs> and I thought, this is pretty cool. We get to have fun with our dad. We have limited weekend time with him. And we are, in a way, being trained that all these weird-looking people walking about are actually not that threatening. Okay. And so it kind of taught a fearless attitude. But at the same time, now in my state of wisdom, I'm like, I probably would not do that to my future children. Um, yet I still want to incorporate something to make things can happen. So that's what I also meant when I said distress for the sake of distress, mm -hmm. just to kind of force yourself into a bad position. Like, do you come across that? And could you think of an example in one of your clients that, they have melded into their spirit. I'm going to be in distress just for the sake of distress because that's what makes me better. And this is where that uh, habit formed. Hmm. Not specifically off the top of my head, can I think of a client um, that is 
can tell me that I'm doing this distress. Now, I've had some clients go into the cold showers or whatnot that have done that for mental toughness. Um, I personally have done many areas of distress myself. Um, but in, in coaching right off the top of that, I'll let you know if one pops in my head, but um, I can't think of one where they've explicitly told me I'm engaging in this specific stress besides physical endurance. I mean, endurance running is a distress. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would I would say that endurance running would be one. Okay. Cold showers, cold exposure, hunger, fasting. Oh, yeah, that's a definite distress. But it can't, I've recently come to find out this been a pretty beautiful thing on the other side of that. But when you said that some of your folks had bad form, you had to drill a new movement yeah. in place of that. What does that look like? Does that take a few weeks of like, hey, none of that? <laughs> it depends on the, the person okay, and how deep that new pattern is. Um, one of the most common ones is just a shoulder position and being able to retract with your shoulder blades. So usually what we end up doing is we first have to understand the old behavior pattern, movement pattern was incorrect. That's a big gem right there. Yeah. That's an emotional and spiritual one, just like you're saying. All of this ties into other stuff. But yeah, sorry. So then once we understand, oh, you know, my shoulders are frozen. They're not retracting. And that's why my front shoulder keeps on getting hurt. It's because my shoulder blades aren't retracting. They're in a weak position. That's why. Now we have to train by drilling through repetition the new movement pattern isolated from the distress of the chaos of the world because they might be doing in their sport or moving boxes and it's hard to remember all these things. So in training, which would be similar to counseling, uh, we're going to isolate that movement and we're going to drill it repeatedly until it becomes memory, until it becomes second nature. So that might be specifically for the shoulders to make sure, say if a person just overly protracted, they don't even know how to retract their shoulders. They might even lean back with their hips. If they're trying to get their shoulder blades back, you might take two rings, a suspension, and you might just drill them, pulling their shoulder blades back and down against resistance, and then protracting. And then they just start to find how their shoulder even moves in the first place. And as they start to do this, it becomes stronger, and then they start to understand the dimensions of their shoulders and what neutral is and what it feels to be in a safe, neutral position to engage with more advanced distress. So how I tie that into like the emotional side of me kind of on my journey out of addiction is for example, you could feel like you have handcuffs on your, your hands when you're going through something and for the millionth time you go back down into it. But at some point when you become more aware of the movement, the patterns that happen leading up to whatever thing it is, that you could identify and have a discussion, well, might not be God for you, but have a discussion saying, well, look down at your hands and you actually have handcuffs there, you know? So being aware helps you to actually see there is anything there is more so. This is something you got used to from an early age or early adulthood. And it's just got you so tied up in that movement and that being used to that, that it's just a part of your spirit. So, um, this, I kind of want to tie this back into another completely um, higher level meaning as to why I even do this podcast. 
which is uh, using the tricks of, uh, we're Christians, so we know what the enemy is like Satan, using the tricks of Satan against his own. So basically, at some point, there are tricks to also train your body to think it's better than where it is because you may be too weak to think it's stronger than what it is, right? So, do you, could you speak to that too? Like, there's, I'm trying to think of examples in my own life where I can uh, elaborate on that. But uh, at a high level for the show, the reason I'm even making it is so that we could be more aware as opposed to the enemy's tactics to make us less aware mm-hmm. and thereby restrict our movements. Uh, so what are your thoughts on that? I'd love to talk about the difference between a sin, uh, a trespass, and, and iniquity. Okay? Uh, a sin would be any time that we have a, a moral failure. Okay? So any moral failure, but that could be against ourselves. Um, say if I'm just envying someone. It doesn't really affect them that much, but it's going to be wrought in my soul. So I'm sinning against my own soul. I, I start to envy and sit in jealousy. Okay. You know, I'm going to have secondary implications. I might now do an immoral act. I might try to hurt them in some subverted way. I'm sitting steeping in jealousy and envy. Okay? A trespass is where you actually are sinning and it is causing some distress to your neighbor. You are stealing from them. You are murdering them. You have now crept into them. But these are both isolated incidents. Okay? And iniquity is a crookedness in our soul, a poor movement pattern. If you notice in Proverbs, which is the book of wisdom, they often talk about the upright versus the crooked. Oh. That has a lot of weight when I hear that repeatedly. It's not one or two times that they say it. Um, when I think about posture and how much crooked posture causes injury and breaking. Good posture is not attractive. It might be attractive, but it is a good neutral position for, for work to be able to have utility from a range of motions. It's a good, neutral, healthy posture. It's safe. So when you start to get bent in different directions and stuck there, you're going to be more likely to injure. So in iniquities, an iniquity is a bending of your soul in a certain way that we need to be aware of what our iniquities are. If you don't think you have an iniquity, you have one, and that's pride or ignorance. Um, Because we all have areas we lean towards. That's the area I end up screwing up. And we have to be aware of where our Iniquities, where we need to repent, meaning we change our way. We change our movement pattern of our soul. So understanding what these areas is, is it lust? Is it envy? What are the areas that our soul leans toward? There's probably going to be a couple. But the sooner we're aware of a deviation in the posture of our soul, the sooner we can start to do restorative movements, whether that be a study, whether that be interacting with people, whether that be gratitude meditations. Um, whatever it happens to be, we can start to work on and prune and grow our soul. We can start to love ourselves. Sometimes we need to love our neighbor by loving ourselves because we leak, you know, we overflow, whether it be good or bad. So to me, that's really important that we're aware of our iniquities, um, just like we're aware of our physical. And I think our physical and and spiritual are interlocked. So it's hard to just be a, a spiritually fit person and not realize that your physical state might affect your neighbor, uh, especially in the long term, if you're not at least having basic stewardship of your body. Mm-hmm. And to tie that into the emotional state too, a lot of pastors say 
especially now in this day and age that if you're not emotionally healthy, you can't be spiritually healthy. Uh, how are you going to love your neighbor if you're seething with hatred, uh, not just for your neighbor, but for other matters? That makes me think of a, a recent scenario where I, I uh, this friend of mine, he uh, specializes in basically deliverance. And I had a small session with him, and he was like, dude, are you sure there's nothing and a grief in your heart that you haven't let go. And what came up for me was this kind of other part of my personality, which me and my therapists, or therapists, plural, have addressed as robots or dragon either. And basically that guy shuts down the ability to feel that grief for that family member because of the decisions that they that grief is actually something that will help me get to the bigger uh, part of my next chapter. You, you mentioned how unforgiveness may not penetrate your soul, but it will definitely hold you back from seeing bigger things. So that was a pretty intense session. And it, I mean, there was nothing huge that came out of it, which was surprising. Uh, because when you see all these YouTube things of deliverance, you're like expecting something craziness, like hissing, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> but it actually doesn't always happen like that. Uh, as a matter of fact, even when I look back at Jesus and him casting out uh, demons, even though Christians can't have them, uh, maybe close to them, but when Jesus did it, he was pretty casual a lot of the times. He was just like, hey, get out of here. Which didn't well much more than uh, like I'm talking to you right now. <laughs> right? It's just a matter of identifying like you said, with the shoulder like, What's wrong there? What's what? Where did that start? And being able to even just have a small session with yourself or somebody facilitating, saying, you know, silent meditation, where did that start? That is a powerful place to be because then you could really dig deep and see where that movement became true, physical, emotional, spiritual, carried throughout the rest of your life. Unnecessary. Yeah, I'd love to connect, especially with um, where did that movement start? Often, and especially in the shoulders too, the shoulder movement itself will start from fear, insecurity. Um, think about how kids tease each other and the fear of being teased that children have, the need to fit in, the need to be cool, the need to be recognized. Um, the kind of looking at a person that can walk freely and being like, wow, I wish I was that free and confident. Wow, they have such confidence that they're free. They're not in a cave with their own body. Mm -hmm. um, so individuals, the more you become self-aware of whether you're doing things right, the more you freeze. Mm -hmm. And the more you don't care, the more you move fluidly based on athletic things. A person that doesn't care, they can still get out of balance. Um, but it might be that they're doing too many pushing activities versus pulling and they start to get pulled one direction or another. But often individuals almost freeze their posture because they've become hyper aware or insecure usually in the way they move. Mm. Um, I noticed something on myself. I do very similar to dogs and cats and a lot of animals, all the creatures God's made. You'll see them self prune and self align. Cats just stretch out. And they'll just move all around and they do this periodically without fear of being judged. Okay. Think about trying to do that in a line or in public. <laughs> yeah. 
That would be strange. That would be socially improper. If you did it as a child, your parent might tell you, no, stop. Mm -hmm. So I realized that when I'm comfortable in a social situation, my body will self-calibrate. It will just, it'll feel something in the lumbar and it'll just kind of realign it. It'll just sit and just self-calibrate. If I'm nervous or anxious, my body will not self-calibrate. It's almost like trying to have a bowel movement when you're nervous. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, It's this tightening up that occurs when any kind of anxiety happens. And a lot of people are victims of this physically, and it's their emotions that are leading this physical frozenness. Um, I forget off the top of the head, but there's been different scientists that have uh, looked at this uh, phenomenon, and one of the terminologies is called uh, body armor. And basically, you're creating a psychological armor by freezing and creating tension in an area of your body. You're just holding tension that is armoring you against some psychological issue. Like the robot eye. Yes. Yeah. When you mentioned push or pull, it made me think of another aspect. In America, we want to become billionaires, trillionaires, stuff, these massive corporations. But the people that actually end up doing that is the people that actually restrict and filter down their body, uh, bodies. Just everything. I mean, bodies, businesses, staff. They were filtered down things. I was surprised when I uh, heard a, a Mark Spain uh, presentation. He was a speaker at uh, the Atlanta Tech Village. And he said, uh, the conversations I have with my friends that are kind of on the same level as me, we're like, how's your wife? How's your kids? Are you uh, out of debt? Are you still working on that? It's very, like, almost basic stuff. But to me, I that makes it more obvious that they aren't worried about we got to get 20,000 staff right now. We got to, his first priority is what's going on in the household. Everything else will be figured out. But the delegation, scaling up with the right people. So there's almost a freedom to restriction. And that's what I think is also probably lost with Christian, uh, people looking at Christianity now. Is that they think, oh, you're, you're like putting rules around yourself. But actually, those kind of, they're more like the, what are those bowling pin side rails? Yeah. <laughs> like, probably going to hit those side rails, but they're there so that you can focus on what you're supposed to do. And so there's a lot of freedom in that. So you don't have to worry about, oh, I'm about to be jumping onto the next lane. I'm about to be taking out a bunch of other people's uh, bowling pin balls and stuff. So, you know, what we're kind of touching on now actually kind of ties into the, the cage portion. Uh, so how do we break out of that? I guess it's towards the end cage portion now. What, when your clients come to you, let's say they're not athletes, what what made them motivate themselves to get out of a bad position? Usually they, they've hit some reason where they're, well, you can hit pain. You know, sometimes we hit so much pain that we need to make a change. Um, or it's some kind of a place where they want to take the next step into being their, their best self. They realize this is not working. They're having injuries and slowing down their life, and they need to make steps towards this. So when, when that's it, I'm here to facilitate that. Uh, I'm very encouraging. But one area that I, I'm not, I'm not the person that's going to take your autonomy away and remind you 
to work out constantly. I'm not going to send you, I'm, I'm not going to be a person's external motivation. I will be encouraging. I'll provide a path. But beyond that, if the person does not want to be there, that is emotionally exhausting for me to try to make somebody want something they don't want to do. When I have many other individuals that want to take the path, and I will show them the path, and I'll encourage them along the way, we'll celebrate our wins, we'll focus on where we need to grow. Um, but yes, I'm, all, I'm working with autonomous individuals. They are not coming out of a system or a mill, and they're supposed to now see me. Um, everyone that sees me wants to out of their own will, and I love the journey we go on. That's awesome. One thing I, so when I did a, one of these many personality assessments, it turned out that I was a pretty big, extroverted, caring for other people type of guy. Like when I comp compared it to me and my other friends, close friends, I, my triangle towards that was like caring for other people was like 10 out of 10 versus the, theirs were, their triangles were in other areas. So how do you, advise a guy like me that when I see somebody else kind of going through pain, I kind of have gone through that journey too, and I could suggest try to have tough love <laughs> to get them to the next step without all of the 20,000 steps of pain. How do you advise somebody like me to just kind of take a step back? To me, it's awareness. It's almost like realizing that dealing with their iniquities is our own iniquity. Mm. Because the truth is, um, you cannot sin. You can put out, you know, a life raft. You can throw it out and you can help them, but you can't go in and drown with them. You know, there's mm -hmm. there's certain laws and principles where, as a gentleman, you can't help them, but you cannot be their mom. You can't tell them what to do, and it it creates a net loss. So when you understand that it is a it is because you care for them yeah. and you go through the full equation i care for them and for me to intervene when they're not ready besides an invitation at certain key times it's to their detriment mm -hmm. i'm hurting and you'll have to resist your own self but it will be in truth when you confront the real truth the real truth is you want the best for them and the real truth is the best for them is that boundary that space creating that hey, amen i will seek that uh, even though it would be a little difficult. <laughs> I'll receive it. I have to with the same thing. Uh, similar, similar motives where I have to deal with those problems. Yeah. So we just got to the end of the cage pretty much. Uh, now the last aspect was discerning. As we navigate life, being able to discern things. So when you were mentioning the body and feeling, I remember one of the first times I felt feeling in my body because I was so accustomed to freezing it up was when I allowed myself to feel a healthy anger for the first time during one of my uh, EFT sessions, uh, the emotional freedom technique. And uh, it was pretty liberating to be able to feel that just in a healthy way. I was just pacing back and forth with my uh, fist closed. And I remember probably in the next session, I was able to actually feel during uh, closing my eyes, a massive heat around me and one of the many uh, definitions of god that the bible describes is a everlasting fire so i strongly believe that he was hovering around me in that particular time because it was like 300 degrees like around me. it didn't make any sense whatsoever 
But I say that to tie into discernment because I'm able to have a better relationship with God now, have a more real relationship, real conversations, as opposed to, uh, I sinned again. I'm sorry. I'm a jerk face. All right. Goodbye. It's like a one-sided conversation, right? As opposed to emotionally tied in like, hey, I really need your help to take on this thing. Like, I need to step in in a bigger, bigger way. Uh, introduce me to the right people, the right resources, which he has all delivered upon. So when you think of discernment and trying to break out of a cage, what do you think of? Discernment? I think about um, open eyes, humble heart. Um, you know, we have to be motivated against pain and death that's right off fear the Lord, we should be afraid of the only thing that has real power over us. Um, and even from a philosophical, sometimes religious people are like, why do we have to fear God? Let's go philosophical. Okay, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of being smashed, dying. Okay, <laughs> people, that's logical. Okay, well, if the only person in a religious, you know, matrix or, you know, uh, physics system that could really mess your soul up is an absence from the life giver, God, fear of God. So the beginning is fear of God. Okay, I, I want to increase in life, so I need to be with the life bring. Um, once we're there, humility, okay? We have to be humble or we cannot see. So we have to be able to have eyes like children to see things new. And in that, we should be seeking wisdom. Um, if you look at Proverbs over and over again, it says the first thing that you're supposed to seek is wisdom, okay? If our goal, the, the, the primary commandment that that God and Christ gives us is to love. If wisdom is the way to love, we need wisdom immediately. It may not be an end in itself because it is the path to love. It is top priority. It is right there. It is the, the you know, the pants we put on in the morning to go to work. Like we need wisdom. So understanding that we should always be in a mindset of gleaning. I love that word gleaning because it means you've gathered some kind of wisdom from what's going on. It's a certain type of taking in. We need to be gleaning each day, analyzing, did I glean anything today? Or is there something I need to glean from this? Uh, so I think that is huge of understanding what is going on because if our purpose is love, then we need to be seeking wisdom daily because that is going to be the path to be able to make our own autonomous decisions. Now, invite the spirit in. The spirit can lead all kinds of things. But that's the spirit of God. We have to make the that's wise thing to invite the spirit. Mm -hmm. So now we use wisdom. We're like, oh, I should invite the spirit regularly. There's so much wisdom to gain. Anytime we're having a discussion, we're gaining wisdom. So what are we uh, engaging in? What is the media we're putting in? What are the books that we're reading? What are where where is our thoughts going? Mm -hmm. And how can we engage in wisdom? Once we go to wisdom, let's go there deep. Let's start thinking first principles thinking. Everything branches from other things. Okay. Uh, Jesus Christ says that um, that all the law and the prophets are hung on those two statements he makes about loving God and loving your neighbor. That means that, that it's a matrices. Everything is an even. There is a hierarchy that things branch out from. So we start to, to create these hierarchies, but it actually makes life easier when things branch from simple heads. You know, one simple river that branches into all these other heads. So we can start to look at things simply in first principles thinking that branch into the nuances of our daily lives. Amen. So many gems of that in just two minutes there. <laughs> wow. Well, uh, 
Thanks for watching, everybody. Uh, could you mention your website one more time? Yeah. It's lionshearthealth.com. So check me out, Zach Potter. Uh, follow me. And, uh, yeah, looking forward to this, this journey of life. Amen. Can't wait to have you back on, too. This is awesome. This is a great session. You covered a lot of ground in a small amount of time. Thank you for having me, man. Thank you, Zach. All right, brother. See you all later.